Listener production. Well, last week the new census data confirmed the bad news for Christianity. The latest census data is in and it shows that we're going through a major societal change. We are losing our religion. religion. Confirmation of a nation changing. Australians are turning from God, any God. Well, it's all sounding very gloomy there. Millennials, that uh, very naughty generation, are turning away from organised Christianity. So if we're not going to church, what do we believe in? As people turn away from organised religion, there's a kind of sustained interest in spiritual beliefs and practices, but it's not as one goes down, the other goes up. I think most people drift into a kind of whateverism. Whateverism, Tom, I love that Mm. word. Is that, in fact, the new religion? And what do young Australians believe in? That's our briefing topic. First, today's headlines. I'm Katrina Blowers. And I'm Tom Tilley. It is Tuesday, the 5th of July. A tugboat has pulled off a dramatic rescue of a tanker that prevented an oil spill on a pristine part of the New South Wales coast. So yesterday in the wild storm, a 169-metre tanker lost its engine at sea and was headed for the coast of the Royal National Park, which is a beautiful part of the world. Beautiful sandstone cliffs there and beaches. So one tugboat was there on its own, braving the 8-metre swirling seas trying to pull this boat away from the coast. They even had to abort a chopper landing on the boat to try and rescue the crew. So they left the crew on the boat. Can you imagine how that would have felt looking at those eight metre waves in a tiny tugboat? Mm. Uh, Four hours later, two other tugboats joined the effort and after another four hours, they were able to drag it out to safer seas to begin repairs. Yeah, and this is all part of the wild weather causing continued flooding in the Sydney Basin. So the Hawkesbury and Nepean rivers are still at major flood levels. Flooding is also affecting the Georges River too. Now, many of these areas are flooding for the third time this year, and this time is the worst of all three. Yeah, the mental scarring of having to pack up your belongings three times. Oh, just can't even imagine it. Uh, The SES has carried out almost 100 flood rescues overnight, along with more than 700 calls for help. As we record, there are 97 evacuation orders in place around Western and Southwest Sydney, and 30,000 New South Wales residents have been evacuated. Yeah, thankfully, the worst of this East Coast low seems to be over. It's beginning to weaken, although wet weather is still expected to remain for the rest of the week. Interest rates are likely to rise again today. The Reserve Bank is meeting. Most economists expect they'll lift rates by 50 basis points. That'll take the cash rate from 0.85% to 1.35%. So that'll mean an extra 330 bucks for anyone with a $500,000 home loan. Many people have more than that. So that'll be a massive hit to the budget, especially for people already being hammered by rising petrol and grocery prices. And of course, this is about stopping inflation. The last reading was at 5%. It's expected to get to 7 by the end of the year and hopefully come down from there. Yeah, many economists are predicting that we're going to have two more rate increases after this. So, uh, yeah, tightening that budget, I think, for everyone. And a fourth potential COVID shot. Australia's vaccine regulator is considering expanding to a fourth vaccine for everyone under 65 when it meets tomorrow. 
Yeah, the other option Atagi is considering is waiting until a new vaccine is developed that better targets these BA4 and BA5 subvariants, which are now becoming the dominant strains. Uh, the health minister said that if you got COVID in summer, which is when I got it mm. and you got it, Tom, yep. and you haven't had your booster, you are the person most likely to actually get that uh, new variant and get reinfected. Yeah, it's really creeping back into the news, COVID, isn't it? And that's because we're experiencing 30,000 daily cases at the moment, which is quite a big number because we're not testing as much as we were back in January when the Omicron wave was first hitting us, um, taking us to around 100,000 cases a day at the peak. So some experts say we could be at a similar level now, we're just not getting the testing results to prove it. And in other COVID news, the Melbourne aged care home where 45 people died from COVID-19 has been charged with nine breaches of the Occupational Health and Safety Act. And some basils could also face a fine of up to $1.5 million. And a big win for our Nick Kyrgios. Don't we all love Nick (laughs) Kyrgios? Oh, you changed your tune from yesterday. No, I I was probably a little bit tough yesterday. I I also um, went on Channel 9 yesterday and was asked about this. I say, look, We've got to love the Kyrgios we've got, you know. Mm. I, I would like him to be a better sportsman, but I will take him because he is Nick Kyrgios and this is what he does. And he's won his way through to the Wimbledon quarterfinals, which is amazing. Yeah, he's downed Brandon Nakashima in five sets overnight. He said he'd need a big glass of wine, but he also admitted to how much he's changed. He said once upon a time, his agent had to pull him out of a pub at four in the morning (laughs) to play Wimbledon the next day. And now he's, you know, rock solid. He's committed. He's got a good team of people around him. He still swears and spits on court, but, you know, baby steps perhaps. Yeah, so it was an incredible game. It was a five-setter overnight against Brandon Nakashima. But there was another great five-setter. Um, Alex de Minor was up against the Chilean Christian Garin, and he lost, sadly. Now, if he'd won, him and Kyrgios would have been facing off in the quarterfinal. I was really excited to play um, Demonar, to be, to be honest. Um, you know, he's been flying the Aussie flag for so long. And I came on court with, when he was two sets to love up, so I was actually expecting to play him. But, you know, I'm not even going to think about that. I'm just going to put my... I need, I need a glass of wine for sure tonight. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if he had it. Uh, this is the first time Kyrgios has made it to the final eight at Wimbledon since 2014. So I wonder whether this will change people's perception of him. You know, it's, it's not so great to be a douchebag when you're losing, but when you're winning, maybe it's okay. Yeah, and this is a massive deal for Kyrgios. So this is only the third time he's actually made it to the quarterfinals of a Grand Slam and it's seven years since he's gotten this far in a Grand Slam. So he's back to his best and I think you can be critical of someone and still support them, you know? Yeah, um, yeah. Bit of both. That's where I'm at anyway. I love the bloke. Great to watch him. Uh, cannot wait for this next round. Just wish it wasn't so late at night. And while Kyrgios has taken up a lot of the oxygen, we should also give a huge shout out to one of our Aussie women who's also made it through to the quarters in the women's game. Isla Tomlanovich uh, is going to face world number 17, Alina Ribakina tomorrow. Uh, she took down France's Elise Cornet in three sets. So huge congrats to her. All right. Uh, coming up, one of my favourite subjects at the moment, um, religion. Big changes, big um move away from Christianity, we'll find out what's going on for the millennial generation. (music) 
What box did you tick on the census when you got to the bit about religion? If you ticked no religion, you are part of a growing number. Almost 40% of Australians checked that box in the latest census, and that's doubled in 10 years. Doubled in 10 years. That is a huge increase there in people ticking no religion. Now, Christianity has seen a similar downward trend. 10 years ago, 60% of people identified as Christian in the census. Now it's down to 40%. So that's 60% down to 40% in just 10 years. If you look at the the longer view on that downward trend, it's even clearer. In the 60s, 90% of people said they were Christians. Yeah. Now we're down to 40. That, I guess, was the heyday of the baby boomers, right? When people were... It was such a big part of everyone's daily life. So... What do millennials believe in if Christianity and organised religion is losing them? Andrew Singleton is a professor in sociology and social research at Deakin University. He's a great chat and he's been analysing the meaning behind this data. So, Andrew, what's driving this big move towards no religion? We've seen this coming for a long time. Those of us have been able to look at data around religion and teenagers because, of course, the census is mostly adults and parents who get to fill it in rather than young people filling it in themselves. And so the pattern amongst young people for a long time has been a drift away from Christianity and organised religion more generally. So what we're seeing in this census is a manifestation of a pattern that's been coming for a long time. So is that reflective of the changing proportion of our population? I mean, this census we saw for the first time, millennials matching baby boomers. One of the interesting things about religious identification, and that's all the census measures, is whether or not people feel like they belong to a religious group. So it's actually not a really great measure of religiosity, and I'll talk about that in a little while. But basically, we can look at it generationally, and and the older generations say baby boomers are much more religious than the generation that comes after them, which is Gen X, who are more religious than the millennials. It's almost like a a tier, you can see it. Uh, And that reflects, I guess, the age in which people form their ideas about religion. I mean, mostly we pick up religion from family and friends, but it's also got a lot to do with the communities in which we live. So if you're a young person growing up in, say, the 1950s, religion, particularly Christianity, was everywhere. For example, if you wanted to meet someone, you'd probably we go to a church dance on a Friday night. You may well be involved in a sporting team on a Saturday or a Sunday. And it was a large part of your social world in in communities that weren't that diverse and complex. Whereas if you're a millennial, like church is just something peripheral. It's one of many options. You may choose to go to Hillsong or you might go to the movies, you might go to the mall or something like that. And of course, we're a much more culturally and ethnically diverse community. We're much wealthier. We're much more educated than we were. Many universities have opened up since the 1970s. And above all, we've got much greater participation of women in the workforce. And all of those things kind of make it, it sort of relegates religious choice as one option amongst many compared to, say, people growing up in an earlier and, and less kind of differentiated and complex age. Okay, so church essentially has moved from the centre of our lives to basically an optional extra. What is behind that cultural change? I think it's just we've become more complex. It's just simply produced more options that mean religion just isn't as appealing as it was. Mostly, I guess I'm sort of saying it's cultural. It's less about belief. And and for the most part, religious identification has just been about cultural identification rather than really people that committed to a religious path. 
I'm wondering whether there were some key moments culturally in the last few decades which were real turning points. Were there anything that you can pinpoint that kind of led to to this shift? The 1960s, particularly in Australia, the late 1960s, and because we're always a little bit behind, you know, it's built for us into the 1970s. And that's when the baby boomers were coming of age. They were, you know, until the millennials came along, they were the kind of the big cohort and and they were really wanting to do things differently to the way their parents had done it and that reflected incredible social circumstances that were changing most emblematically of course the Vietnam War and there was great opposition to that but also women's rights were changing reproductive rights and also women's desire to be members of of the paid labor market and it's it's sort of that period of time and it's best encapsulated, I think, in Australia, sort of with Gough Whitlam gaining power in 1972 with its time and it kind of represented a watershed moment. And at that time, a whole lot of spiritual alternatives became much more popular for that baby boomer generation than the previous generation. You mentioned before an increase in education. Yeah. Does that mean essentially that we've we've learnt more about science and we, we generally are more likely to use that to explain our universe than the Bible? I mean, most religious people don't accept straight-up biblical explanations Mm. of of any scientific phenomenon. It's much more a kind of critical thinking, which is engendered by education. So you question things like when someone says, you know, the Bible's the literal word of God, you talk about, you know, different ways of interpreting the text. Uh, You just have a greater understanding of cultural difference and awareness. that's the kind of effect of education as much as kind of promoting a scientific worldview. So the question in the census is about your religion. And I'm wondering if it had been framed in a different way, like, do you think you're spiritual? Because I know that there's a bit of a trend amongst millennials to kind of go, I'm not religious, I don't believe in God, but I am spiritual. (laughs) Do you think we would have got a different result? (laughs) Well, we do ask that question in surveys. And so the surveys that we've done of teenagers and of adults, you say, you know, would you say you're spiritual, not religious or some combination of that? And about a quarter of the population says, yes, I'm spiritual, but not religious. I mean, in the census, you can write down something and about 45,000 people took the time to say some other kind of spiritual belief. And about 70,000 people took the time to say, no, I'm an atheist or agnostic. So if you look below the surface, people are prepared to say that they are something else and something different. And what about underlying belief? Obviously, religious affiliation, or or particularly in the case of Christianity, is going down. Do you think that means less people are believing or just less people are affiliating? Obviously, the people who do say they're Christian, most of them, aside from the Pentecostals, don't go to church every month. So most Catholics never go. Most Anglicans never go. Pentecostals, most of them go. Yeah, Yeah, in terms of of other things, we've sort of been tracking things like belief in reincarnation and belief in astrology and so on for about two decades. And that seems to be fairly constant. As people turn away from organised religion, there's a kind of sustained interest in spiritual beliefs and practices, but it's not as one goes down, the other goes up. It's sort of, I think most people drift into a kind of whateverism. That's what I think. <laughs> That's the <laughs> religion of our generation, whateverism, I love it. Whateverism, exactly. Which is, you know, it's, I guess it's a, it's a spiritual curiosity rather than, you know, atheists aren't increasing in number either. That People aren't signing up for that, nah, don't want it at all package. Mm. They're mostly curious and interested. 
I think now amongst young people, the major emphasis that we've seen is an interest in well-being. So you mentioned Pentecostalism earlier. Tom Tilly has mm. just re- written a book and released a book yes. about growing up in um, the Pentecostal faith. That's been touted as one of the only forms of Christianity bucking the trend. I- is that still the case and is it about population levels? Uh, so they're not bucking the trend. In fact, they went backwards about 2% between this census and the last census. You know, in the census before that, they were just kind of moving at population mm. growth levels. And most growth in the Pentecostal church is from overseas migration rather than sort of conversion. So now they're starting to go backwards as well. Yeah, and it's only around about 250,000 people, right? It's actually not a huge number compared to almost 5 million Catholics. That's right. But of that 250,000, you know, most are going to uh, get out to church. Yeah. They turn up. <laughs> no, no one is more turning up and more enthusiastic about their faith and more enthusiastic about sharing it than Pentecostals, which oh, I yeah. think gives them the, the sense that, you know, they're, they're the movers and shakers. All right, four yeah. times a week at least you've got to, you've got to turn up. Um, so speaking- Pentecostal survivor, Tom. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm here and I'm mentally healthy and fighting for my well-being based on a scientific worldview. What about yeah. these other religions where we're seeing um, a big amount of growth, like Hinduism and Islam? Are they converting more people or are they just keeping pace with migrants who already follow that religion? So the proportion of converts to Islam, Hinduism, Buddhism, is tiny, tiny, tiny proportion. And it is, it's all about population shifts. The expression of things like Hinduism and Buddhism, it's really, uh, often we kind of conceive of things of like, you know, going to the temple each week and all of that. It's not that stuff at all necessarily. It's or even necessarily a belief in a Hindu deity. It's much more about a, a cultural practice and a worldview and a sort of sense of place in the world and community. What's the future of organised religion in Australia? Can it make a comeback or is it gone forever? Yeah, uh, no, it's a dead duck. I mean, Christianity is just, it, it's going to continue to shrink. And the ones that we do see in the church pews are going to probably be much more uh, like the Pentecostals as opposed to like the Anglicans or the Catholics. And particularly Anglicans are kind of in, um, in freefall, but we've seen that uh, occurring now for a couple of generations. And so Christianity is not going to go away. It just becomes just, you know, part of the co- very complex mosaic of Australian life. And you said before that millennials are turning to whateverism or well-being. Now, yeah. it sounds like a throwaway word like, you know, we don't care about our lives, but that's not the case. What do you think whateverism actually means when it comes to belief? What I see, particularly amongst young people, is an incredible tolerance for the belief of others. So when we surveyed teenagers a few years ago, teenagers are much more open to the idea that well, if I've got a religious belief, that's cool. If I don't, that's cool. And if you've got one, that's cool. Just don't try and put it on me. And that then extends to all sorts of other kinds of tolerance of cultural diversity, of gender and sexual uh, diversity. So young people kind of lead the way. So it's not a just a, an interested whateverism. It's actually mm. a, a great passionate commitment to openness um, and tolerance. Yeah. So you're talking about, I guess, social values there, right? I mean, does that does that serve the needs of what Christianity used to offer, which was supposedly spiritual nourishment, connection with the creator, also a community and a, and a structured way of life? Is any of that being replaced by whateverism or religious tolerance or, or the sort of um, values that you're talking about? 
I guess the difference between millennials and, and the older generations is that if you wanted to look for that source of higher purpose and meaning, for the older generations, it was kind of conveniently there in organised religion. For young people, that's not such an obvious choice. And so it's probably a lot more uh, scattered and fractured. And you might find it in community of peers or, or like-minded people. And some people worry about that. They think, oh, well, you know, without some kind of society-wide set of values that we should subscribe to, it's actually a bad thing. But I'm, I'm not so sure. Organised religion has brought a lot of harm as much as it's brought a lot of good. That was Andrew Singleton, a professor in sociology and social research at Deakin University. And Tom, religion was such a huge part Mm. of your upbringing. It wasn't so much a big part of mine, but hearing there that being in the Pentecostal faith, you're rocking up to church sometimes four times a week, (laughs) maybe more. I'm wondering, since you've stepped away from that and now that you've become a dad yourself, Self, what are you replacing that with and what, what are you thinking that you'll introduce your son to, I guess, to find that meaning and purpose in, in your life? Yeah, it's a good question because I'm not alone in that. I'm obviously personifying this trend that we're seeing across the population. So, yeah, the question is, what do you replace it with? And there were a lot of really good parts of religion. That close, connected, supportive community is a good one. The deeper sense of purpose, also a sort of a framework to help other people and, you know, Mm. through works of charity and that kind of thing. So, look, I guess they're the sort of good parts of my upbringing that I would like to somehow provide access to for for my children. So, yeah, I'll be always on the lookout for ways of, of doing that. So hopefully they can have the good parts of it without the dogma and some of the negative parts that came with it. And tomorrow on The Briefing, yeah... We're going to go there. We're going to talk about COVID again, um, having a look at the current wave, how much damage it's doing and how we should best deal with it. Listener.